0: This morning's text is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Please follow along as I read the first four verses of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to start right at the end of that verse 4 and look with you at the word Lord and ponder for a few minutes what it means. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of... The Lord. Now, the word Lord, as you know, has a very exalted meaning for the Apostle Paul. You can hear it probably most clearly when you remember the words from Philippians chapter 2, where it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, whether in heaven, or on the earth, or under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we say that He is the rightful King over all the universe. We confess that He is the ruler over all the world as we know it. We confess that He's the commander of all the hosts of heaven, all the armies of heaven and all the Christian soldiers on the earth. When we say He's Lord, we mean that He is now reigning over all His enemies until He puts them under His feet. And that one day He's going to establish a kingdom in this earth that will extend from horizon to horizon and be full of justice and peace, and all evil and unrighteousness will be banished out of the world forever and ever. To confess that Jesus is Lord means that He's going to triumph over all things. It means that He is not a small-town God. He's greater than Reagan. He's greater than Gorbachev, greater than Gaddafi or Khomeini or all the other Rulers of the world put together, Jesus Christ is greater. And one of these days, He is going to come just as visibly in Minneapolis, just as real in Minneapolis as Michael Jackson at the Met Center. And his audience is going to be bigger, and his band is going to be louder, and his laser show is going to be lightning from horizon, To horizon. And when his concert is over, this world will be totally different. All sin will be gone. All pain and grief and guilt and unrighteousness will be over. And there will be established righteousness and truth. And all the children from the aged to the young will play as happy as a child could ever play forever and ever. And ever. Therefore, I conclude that whatever else Paul means when he says, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Lord. He means at least this. Bring up your children so that they hope in the triumph of God. Bring up your children so that they find their place, their meaning, their significance in the cause of the triumphant Christ. Bring up your children so that they know that everything in their life is related to Christ, from the littlest toy to the greatest crisis in their life. Bring up children so that they know that the path of sin is a dead-end street no matter how many cool or famous people are walking down that path because the pathway to glory is the pathway of righteousness which will bring triumph in the end under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ has already struck the decisive blow. Teach the children that the battle has been won and they can be on the side of victory. I confess very openly and freely, I've gotten excited about being a father this week as I have reflected on the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the triumph that is coming upon this world through Jesus Christ. I've gotten excited as I've thought about my family as a breeding ground for children who hope in the triumph of God. I've gotten excited as I've thought of my family as a training camp where children are taught the truth and the falsehood about what the world is or isn't coming to. Not what the world teaches, but what God teaches about the destiny of this world and the destiny of their lives through faith in Jesus Christ. I've gotten excited as I've thought about my family and your family as a boot camp where soldiers are taught how to fight in the most significant combat that this world will ever know. And I've gotten excited as I've thought about my family as a fortress for their protection, my children's protection, as a hospital for their healing, as a retreat center for necessary R&R, and as a supply depot for replenishment of their resources as they come back at the end of a school day. And especially, I've gotten excited as I've, as I've thought about the family as a launching pad for missiles of missionary zeal headed for the unreached peoples of the world. I want my family and I want the families of this church to be brought up out of the utter insignificance of merely worldly life into the grand enterprise of Jesus Christ aiming towards the victory of the King of Kings. It's an exciting challenge to be a dad if you have a vision for what God intends the family to be. Paul said, don't provoke your children to anger. What does he mean? In view of what I've just said about the Lordship of Christ, where this verse ends. I don't think he means, never cross the will of your child. I don't think he means, never deny your child any of their desires, even if they get mad. Well, then what does he mean? I think he means, in view of what we've just seen, at least this. When you must cross the will of your child, do it because you have a grand vision of a great design of that child's participation in the triumph of God. When you must deny the child one of his desires, do it because you are overcome by a conviction that by this discipline, this child will be kept on the road that leads to the triumph of God. In other words... Let all discipline, all crossing of a child's will be dictated by a grand vision of what the child in Jesus Christ might become by the grace of God through the triumph of Jesus Christ. When the child is tiny, you can't teach him that's why you're doing it. He doesn't know yet when you thump his hand as he reaches for a candle or to eat that plant that he's not supposed to eat in the living room. But the hug afterwards tells him there's some good purpose behind that thump. But when the child does begin to grow and and he can think and talk, then you begin to teach him with words. The reason we have the rules we have, the reason they are applied with the consistency they're applied is because I've got a vision. God has given me a vision And the vision is for you to participate in the triumph of grace someday. And there is a road that leads to that triumph. And there is a road that leads to destruction. And I love you. And I want you on the road to glory. Now, a child who catches the vision of a parent, who wants that child to participate in the triumph of God, will not harbor grudges for the discipline that keeps him on that road. I'm not telling you he won't get upset. I picture him like a boot camp and a soldier. A soldier that because of the sacrificial love of the captain and the sergeant might grumble back in the barracks. Sure, they all grumble about the rations and they grumble about the barking But I tell you when the pinch comes, they'll lay down their life any day for that captain. They'll lay down their life any day for that captain because of the vision of the cause for which they're fighting. And so the the issue for me this morning is how to create a family in which there is a vision for what a family is. What's it for? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Why is there a mom? Why is there a dad? Why am I here? And the vision is imparted that there is a great triumph coming of God. It is reached on a road of faith and obedience. We will do everything under the power of the Holy Spirit to bring you into that vision. Oh, catch it, my son. Catch it, my daughter. Get a feel for the glory of what it means to be a family, to be a dad under the lordship of Jesus Christ, moving toward the triumph of God. I think that's the spirit of our text. The great challenge of the parent, single or married today, is to give a vision to the child of his participation in and his significant involvement in The triumphant cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what then should we do as parents to create this vision and to bring them with us into an experience of this vision? And I've got ten things to say about parenting in five minutes. Well, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take ten at least and uh, probably run real fast through the last seven. Number one is the most important, and here it is. In order to breed children who hope in the triumph of God, we must be, underline the word, it's the most important word in your life. We must be Christians. I could use the adjective radical Christians, but I don't want to give the impression there's any other kind. Normal Christians are radical Christians. And what I mean is this. We must be people whose lives are woven through, saturated with God. I remember the blanket I grew up with. Do you have a blanket? I had a green blanket. I had an orange blanket. And they were identical except for the color, which is good because all that mattered about this blanket was the edge. It was satin. It was two inches of satin. It was soft. It was cool. It was... I would climb under the covers at night and the lights would go off and I would pull up the blankets around my neck and I would fumble around until I had the satin in my hands. I see smiles. Some of you must have done this too. I had the satin in my hands... And it was soft and cooler than the blanket, and, and it gave me security, then I would go to sleep. Now, as I was thinking about that blanket yesterday, I just thought a lot of people for whom God is that way. He's on the edge of their lives. He makes a nice border, and on Sunday, kind of get up close and try to feel Him and get a good smooth, warm relationship. And maybe in a crisis, you grab onto the edge of the blanket. But by and large, He isn't woven through the blanket of life. He doesn't make any difference, it seems, to the kids anyway, which TV programs we watch. You'll ever talk about it in relationship to Jesus. Or what music, whether the music is dragging down our spirit to the gutsy gutter level or whether it's lifting up our spirits into heaven. We don't even to talk about Jesus in, in the stations we choose or the music we use. He doesn't seem to be there when we talk about our eating habits or our leisure or our exercise. He doesn't seem to be there when we buy a car or when we rent a house or an apartment. He doesn't seem to be there when we talk about my Sunday, my Sunday school lesson or my, my uh, school lessons. The, he's just not there. He, he's there on Sunday, it looks like, but then he's gone. And the kids see that, and you know what they draw as a conclusion? God is not worth weaving a life around. Of course, that's what they conclude. What else would they conclude? And it's crazy. How many parents think that you can teach something you're not? That you could get your children to be Christians when you aren't one. That you could hope that they would weave Christ into their lives so that He would make a difference at school and on the playground and, and when they're walking down the street and experience temptation when they can't see that in you. And so number one, brothers and sisters, is we must be radical Christians. We must be Christians. We must weave Him through our lives. Didn't Jesus say, or Paul say, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Now that means weave God into every loop in your life's blanket. Weave Him in. Don't put Him on the perimeter, no matter how soft you say He feels out there. So that's number one. And it's real plain, real obvious, real simple. We must be something before we can train up something. Number two. Triumph of grace will come in the lives of our children through prayer. Through our prayer for them and our prayer with them. I closed the message last week, you remember, by saying a desperate father finds a quiet place in a house and gets on his face before God and cries out... To do the miracle that he feels so incapable of doing. Namely, save my boys or my daughters. Make them holy. Cause them to persevere in a world where a thousand influences are dragging them away from Christ. Here's the thing I want to add to that this morning. Pray with them, dads and moms. Dads, are your children seeing you kneel down at the sofa in the living room or at the bedside? Do they see you kneel, dads? I'm not talking about prayer at mealtime. Sure, they hear you say, Thank you, Father, for the food. Amen. I'm not talking about that. Do they see you plead for them? Do they hear you plead for the spiritual cause of the family? Do they hear you say, I'm sorry for my sin and the way I spoke to my wife this morning? Do they see prayer? They'll never learn to pray if they don't see prayer. Um... Augustus Strong was a seminary president a century ago. He was the president of Colgate Rochester Divinity School, a man whose systematic theology is still in print today, hundred years later. And listen to what he said about his mother's influence in his life. One of the earliest things I remember is my mother's taking me into a dimly lighted closet every Saturday afternoon after the day's work was done and kneeling with me beside a chest while she taught me how to pray. I remember her suggesting to me the thoughts and when I could not command the words her putting into my mouth the very words of prayer. I shall never I shall never forget how one day as I succeeded in uttering some poor words of my own I was surprised by drops falling upon my face. They were my mother's tears. My mother's teaching me how to pray has given has given me ever since my best illustration of the Holy Spirit's influence in prayer. So, moms and dads, get alone and cry out to God for a work in the lives of your children, and then sometime during every day, pray with them. This is not optional. You're neglecting your God-given responsibility if you don't choose a time Whether it's bedtime, supper time, breakfast time, when they hear you pray for them, for the family, for yourself. Number three, if we're going to raise children who hope in the triumph of God, we must make the Bible the most important book in their life. We must make the Bible more important than television. We must make the Bible more important than comics and movies and everything else that competes. The Bible must be the centerpiece of their intellectual and emotional life. William Quayle was an old Methodist pastor from 80 years ago who who wrote this, I would rather have been the son of a woman and a man who in their poverty could not leave to the child of their love anything but a Bible, than to have been descended from the majesties of history. I read an article yesterday, just by chance, I wasn't even looking for this particular illustration, in the Reform Journal, a little article by William Frankener, who teaches philosophy at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And he wrote and told about what it was like to be Bible-saturated as a boy growing up in his Uh, Michigan home, he said his father read a whole chapter of the Bible after every meal during the day and finished the Bible every year by catching up with short chapters in Psalms and the epistles. And he did it for 16 years. And I read that and I said, most of us parents are so scared of our children's negative reactions to keeping them still for a few minutes, that we not only set standards that are miles below our ancestors, but probably lower than they should be. The Bible must be the centerpiece of your life if you want it to be the centerpiece of the life of your children we must show them that and not just tell them that. Well, there's so much more now, so I'm just going to run real fast over my remaining seven parental admonitions. Here they go. Number, what is it, four? Model faith in the promises of God for your children, they will see it. My father was an evangelist, still is an evangelist which meant that growing up, our livelihood was dependent upon churches writing my father and inviting him to come preach a week or two or three or hold a citywide crusade in a tent or something like that. And uh, as a family, I can remember dozens of times sitting down together in a circle of prayer. And my dad would say, well, now, here's the calendar. We have an eight-week hold in May and June And we have a six-week hole with no meetings in November and December. Let's pray. And we would pray, and he would stand up with a beaming smile upon his face and said, The Lord will provide. And it never occurred to me as a kid to doubt that the Lord would provide. My father trusted God, so I trusted God. God works all things together for good. And then we would all gather around and I would stuff the envelopes and my sister would lick the envelopes and my mother would stamp the envelopes and we'd send out letters that would say to churches, please call my dad to come preach in your church. And they always did. We always had food on the table. Model faith in the promises of God. If you face a test, a financial trial, lay hold on a promise and say to your child, let's trust the Lord for this. And then do it. And that's the greatest gift you can give to your child is faith. In the promises of God. Fifth, be as happy as you can be with your children. Be as happy as you can be. And the reason I say this is because if we aren't happy with our children, and yet we're trying to create a sense in them that there's coming a great triumph of God, you know what they're going to conclude? It'll be the triumph of gloom. And who needs it? My father was the happiest man I ever knew. That's why I dedicated desiring God to him and put right on the front page to William Solomon Hoddle Piper, my father, in whom I first saw the holiness and happiness of God. I can remember my mother and father singing in the car on the way home from vacation. They were simply the happiest people I have ever known. And it was a great gift to me. And it would be to our children. Seven or six, I'm losing count here. Firm, no-nonsense, corporal discipline. And if we had time, we could go through some good biographies and look at the effect of solid, careful, quick discipline that gets it over with, results in a restoration of the relationship, frees the burden of the conscience from the guilt, and moves on into a glorious vision of what God is doing in our family. I really believe so much in quick, efficient, no psychologically strained and drug out discipline as much as possible. And I think it has paid in the lives of many missionaries. I cite only Amy Carmichael as one example. Elizabeth Elliot tells the story of how her parents disciplined her and her own testimony to how it fitted her for the buffetings of of in a lifelong Labor of love. Number seven, we need to show our children humility. Dads, moms, we need to apologize to our kids straight up front when we've blown it. They need to see a dad with tears in his eyes say, I shouldn't have talked to you that way last night, and I'm real sorry. Will you forgive me? If they don't ever see that, they will become arrogant children. And never say that to anybody. I'm sorry is a learned behavior. It is not natural to any fallen creature. If they don't see it in their parents, from mom to dad, dad to mom, and dad to child, they won't learn it. Be humble with your children. Be broken before them for your sin. The eighth thing is to worship together. We don't have a children's church at Bethlehem, and that's not because we don't have the leaders to... to a staff it either it's because i don't believe in it i want the time from the children from the time they're say four five six years old children are different i want them sitting with mom and dad in this service because i want children to see dad go down in prayer in reverence before god almighty i want them to see mom and dad singing praises to God. I want them to see mom and dad hang on every word faithfully preached from this pulpit. I want them to know that corporate worship is glory. It is not boring. It is not silly. It is not foolish. It is glorious. Look how mom and dad enjoy it. Look how they talk about it when they come home. Look how eager they are to get there on Sunday. I hope I hope You want your child to grow up in the church and love the church? Love the church. Don't send them off to Sunday school or children's church. Show them how you love to worship God. And number nine, standards of everyday holiness we must impart to our children. I have in mind sexual purity, financial integrity, rigorous truthfulness, self-control, hard work. We must find ways to demonstrate this and to teach this so that they will stay on the road of justice and peace and faith that leads to triumph. And then finally, the summary word is love. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. And what we need to show to our children in all of these dimensions is love. And these three things in particular... We must show them that in the end, everything is in vain without love. We must show them that in the world, all love is a horizontal expression of a vertical confidence in the triumph of grace. And we must show them that in the soul, love is the most fulfilling, rewarding, and satisfying way to live. Because Jesus said, if you'll lose your life for my sake and for the Gospels, you'll find life. And so I conclude by simply saying the task of a parent, and I believe the task of all of us in the corporate family, is to be a kind of church and to be a kind of home that breeds people, Christians, children, old and young children, who hope in the triumph of God. Heavenly Father, triumphant Lord Jesus Christ, coming and present Holy Spirit, grant, I pray, that this message would bear fruit and transform dads and moms and children and homes and church. Elevate, I pray, the hope of the triumph of glory and the triumph of grace so that it becomes the design and the whole destiny of what we're about in our families. I prayed in the name of Jesus Christ and all the people said, Amen.